Lutheran Hour Ministries and the Barna Research Group recently partnered on a project that examined the household, specifically a household of faith. What do these households look like? Who's there? What are they doing to promote vibrant faith within their home? Today, we're giving you the inside scoop on spiritually vibrant households and how outreach actually begins within your own walls on this Action in Ministry. Inspiring you to be the hands. Empowering you to be the feet. Strengthening you to be the heart of Christ for others. Action. Action. Action in Ministry. Hi, I'm Rachel Legute, and this is Action in Ministry. Typically on Action in Ministry, we take a look at how an individual, church, or organization is reaching their community. Today, we want to turn that around a bit. We're taking a look at outreach in the home and specifically what that looks like based on this recent research. I'm excited to introduce you to two of my colleagues, Jason Brogy and Don Everts. They have played a key role in creating valuable resources to help us use this research practically. Great to have you guys here with us to chat today. Thanks for joining us. Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us, Rachel. Jason, this study is huge. We've been hearing about it a lot, not only here in our office, but around Lutheran Hour Ministry Circles and also some other media sources who've gotten their hands on the research already. I'm wondering if you could just give us a basic overview of the research, Households of Faith. I'd love to. You know, this study's been really um, important to all of us here at Lutheran Hour. We started this relationship with Barna uh, in 2018, where we're doing a series of studies, and as as we at Lutheran Hour are looking at how we bring Christ to the nations and the nations to the church, we wanted to get our better understanding of exactly where people in America are at. So our first study, Spiritual Conversations in Digital Age, talked a lot about how people are talking about their faith in everyday life, both Christians and also non-Christians, just people in America. We wanted to have a, a clearer understanding of what was going on. With this second study, Households of Faith, we wanted to get a clearer picture of what's happening in Christian households, what households are doing together. But we realized that the average household has changed a lot over the last 50 years, that it's no longer uh, necessarily the norm to be the nuclear family, to be uh, a mom, a dad, two kids, a dog, and a picket fence. But instead, there are a lot of different household types out there, and we want to see what's happening in each of them. And actually, you know, we have this very real understanding that if you are a Christian living by yourself, you're still in a household. Mm. And how do you relate to other Christians and how do people relate to you? And as Christians, we kind of stood back and we looked and we said, biblically, this concept's a whole lot wider than just the people I I think of, which is often, for a lot of us, just our family. Would you say that there's— like that everyone is kind of represented in this study? Yeah, and that's that's what's fun about it because when you do have research or resources or conversations about families, quote-unquote, often it's like parents and their kids. Households, what they look like in the U.S. is broader than that. It's, it's not just the people you live with, but it's also the people who come over to your house. Who is in your home regularly? who visits your home, who comes over to your home for other reasons, because that actually affects the life of your household, and that is the household. And that's a lot more like what the Bible means when it talks about households. And it talks about households a lot. Hmm. You know, you think of 
I mean, kind of the key moment, Joshua standing in the promised land. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. But he wasn't talking about, you know, we hear that and we picture Joshua and his wife and their 2.7 kids. Little or, things <clears throat> that we hang on our walls. Yeah, that's right. To represent me and my wife that's and right. my four kids. That's right. Well, but throughout the Bible, both in the Old Testament, in the ancient Near East, and in the New Testament, uh, an average household would have been 50 to 100 people. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It's very—so it's, it's not only your core household, which would be like your family— your close relatives, the people you live with, but it, it included an extended household, right? And so it's it's people you're related to, but, you know, they're not in your quote-unquote nuclear family, but you're related to them. They're, they're a part of your life. It would include foreigners that you've taken into your household. Did you have a sense that households played this much of a part of the biblical narrative? We are aware of it because the reality is it is affecting our everyday life. And so one of the things I think that's been really important to me is it's, it's helping us discuss and be more intentional uh, about just how uh, much of an influence we're having on other people and other people are having on us and the opportunities that creates or closes off. Um, one of the, the editors for the study, uh, Roxanne Stone, she made all, all the graphs and charts and she's the uh, editor of the study itself. When we were talking about this, something that just really stuck out to me, she said, you know, when I was looking at and I'm paraphrasing here, but she said, you know, when I was looking at this study and thinking about it going in, I thought this would be one of the ones that was least relevant to me because Roxanne lives alone. She's a single person household. Mm -hmm. And she thought, she said, but by the end of this, I realized this study had more of an impact on my life than any of the others because suddenly she realized that she was part of all of these other extended households. And one in particular, that she had actually moved her single-person household to be closer to this other household in order to actually be more a part of that household, to be a part of their kids' lives, to be the person who's almost like Auntie Roxy, who comes over all the time and is integral to their daily life. But on top of that, she thinks, well, I don't really have a family so all these family ministry things don't apply to me. But when you start talking households, suddenly it gives validity to her experience in everyday life. I love how it highlights the significance of like, like for someone like for, for Roxanne, the significance of her relationship and the impact that she has on the lives of the people yeah. whose families, she core families she interacts with. So one of the phrases that we use a lot when talking about this research is we talk about a spiritually vibrant household, um, this idea of vibrancy. And um, Adon, I know you mm-hmm. love words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have a way with words. You like to use like beautiful uh-huh. words. And um, vibrancy isn't maybe something, it's not a word that we use in a lot of like everyday language. Like why did we choose vibrant? Yeah. You know, the, it's something that came out in the research. You know, we do qualitative research, which is a lot of in-depth interviews with human beings. And then we do quantitative, <laughs> which is a lot of like with thousands of people, surveys of these human beings. And somewhere in the midst of that, you know, started to find like there, there's, there's this quality, but it wasn't just like a healthy household, which is something you could think about, or it wasn't just a righteous family, Mm -hmm. you know, or a household, but there's, there was a sense of vibrancy, a sense of uh, emotions obviously came up a lot in this study. Mm -hmm. In fact, we have whole infographics that tell us what are the dominant, words people would use to describe the atmosphere of their home. And this is where some of the vibrancy came from because a a home that is comfortable, that is joyful, that um, is welcoming, 
because it's just as much about how many people they're inviting in. And But one of the things we found that spiritually healthy families tend to be messier. Hmm. They're not all cleaned up. Does that make sense? So Vibrant was kind of capturing, it's not that everything's all cleaned up. It's not that the laundry is always done. It's not that they never curse. It's households that are, there's some kingdom of God stuff happening with them that's kind of beautiful and kind of messy and kind of, uh, and so Vibrant was the word we chose. I love it. Okay, so Jason, what do we mean when we say a spiritually vibrant household? What does it look like? They all had these these basic things in common. Um, one was that they uh, practiced, they had spiritual practices in the household together. And it looked different for different households. Another quality, so we had the spiritual practices together, was that they ha- engage in spiritual uh, conversations. Mm. These vibrant households are naturally talking about their faith in everyday sorts of situations with each other. So vibrant households are doing those two things. They're having spiritual practices together intentionally, but they're also having kind of natural spiritual conversations, maybe at sports practices, on the drive home, just over life. And then the third big thing that really jumped out was that spiritually vibrant households practice hospitality. They invite the outsider in to be a part of their household. And, and that is both that they're having visitors who are part of their extended household come in. So this might be uh, people who are like friends like family. Yeah. People who are coming in mm-hmm. so often that you don't feel the need to clean up. And it was surprising to me to see how many Christian households don't have anyone like that in their life yeah. who are friends like family. Their extended household is very small, maybe zero. Mm-hmm. But the vibrant ones have that. They're inviting these people in. But they're also inviting often uh, people they don't really know very well in. People who maybe one day could become those extended household members, but right now are are new to their lives. Mm-hmm. But these spiritually vibrant households are the type that say, hey, listen, there's room at the table for you. So the three things are spiritual disciplines. Mm-hmm. They practice spiritual disciplines. They have spiritual conversations and they practice hospitality. That's it. Those are the markers of a spiritually vibrant household. Well, when I'm listening to you guys talk, I'm getting real pumped about all of this again. Like mm-hmm. I'm hearing mm-hmm. it kind of afresh and anew. And um, like I want people who come into my home to describe it as vibrant. I want them yeah. to be like, wow, that's a really vibrant household. And like I want people to walk into my doors and feel like they're welcome and that to know that it's a place where, where they're going to find love and they're going to find um, grace and um, – just that they know that it's also a place where God is in the midst of our family. Let's turn it a little bit practical. I'm sure like, probably people are listening and feeling similarly. According to the research, what is working? It's exciting to see that spiritually vibrant qualities are things that are not inaccessible to any particular house t- household mm. type. Yeah. Wherever you are on the spectrum of vibrancy, you can grow. Yeah. And it's not... It's not like, oh, I'm an introvert, so I'm not going to be able to do any of these things. If you're like a little afraid of inviting people over, there might be some hurdles that are a little scary for you. Mm-hmm. Uh. If you've never had uh, household uh, devotions or something like that, you might be like, ooh, I don't know where to start. To me, one of the exciting things about all these vibrancy things is I can still grow. Let's dig into that. Let's lean into that a little bit. What would you say to somebody who says, gosh, I, like, I'm at a two, you know, if, right. if you know, I'm at a two. How do I just like, what do I do to get to a three? Like if I just want to take this step and I feel kind of like I'm not even sure what to do. Uh, one of the very interesting findings was what brings households together. The top of the list is food. Oh, yeah. It's, it's even food. higher than watching TV together. 
that's really good news because if I'm thinking, okay, we have to have like a worship service in my house or something like that <laughs> to be spiritually vibrant, one thing you can do is say, eat more meals all together around a table. We, we talk about two things, food and fun, actually. Those are two like accelerants for these other variables to have more fun, to like be doing things together. So like even doing a sport together as a household or even doing, you know, going out to a meal, even that sort of thing, it, it starts to reconnect the connective tissue between people in your household. And, th- and that's key because insularity being separate from each other. I don't know what your household is like, but sometimes we fight, you know, so there's this tendency to have, have less connections with each other. And what can help anyone, no matter where they are, is increase that connectivity. And what a powerful thing to say to a family who says, I think I'm at a two. Yeah. The first thing I want you to do is have fun with your household. Yeah. Yeah. Start there. Just start there. The spiritually vibrant households go to movies together more often. They play out, play sports together more often as a household. They read books together more often. They play board games more often. Take your pick. They're catalysts yeah. for interactions to happen. And if one of the markers is just talking about your faith, then you have to be around each other. That's right. And you have to be doing <laughs> life together. Yeah. And you have to be talking about what's going on and what bothers you. And, and I think some, I've been doing a Sunday school class kind of based on these findings. I, I call it a learning lab because we don't have it all figured out yet. Yeah. And so I have these families. And, and so we have a, a one table. It's all grandparents. Well, they're, in, they're an active part of the households of, of their younger families. And so a, a good first step we've done is to say, take these three variables and which one and just like self-evaluate. So applying spiritual disciplines, how, how is your household at that? Spiritual conversations, how is your household at that? hospitality. How's your household at that? And it's interesting because most people tend to have one of the areas that they get embarrassed about. And they're like, yeah, we're not, we're not like, like we talk about God all the time and we welcome people in all the time, but yeah, we don't like get the Bible out or we don't pray together. Or there's other families in my suburban context. It's very common that they're like, yeah, we're doing, we do devotions with each other. We go to church together and we talk about God stuff, but we're pretty insular. Yeah. And and we one of the big ahas in the research for me, and this is kind of blowing the minds of the people in my class, is that isolating your children is a risk factor for their spiritual health. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that impulse that's kind of like, I want to protect my kids from the outside world. They've actually found there's that isolating kids, like having fewer humans in their life is a risk factor. They, they aren't as spiritually vibrant when they grow up. We don't know exactly why, right? The, we, we, but, but kind of that sense that the more adults that they interact with, um, the v- more vibrant their faith is. And so everyone can think about these three variables and say, what are, for my household, what are we weakest in? And what's a little thing that we could do to do that? Just, just do a little starter thing, right? So if you're not very hospitable, maybe, maybe you say, uh, we're going to go say hi to one of our neighbors today. That's it. You don't have to, like, invite someone to move in with you, right? Like, don't start there. What's the next step that you can take? Or if you don't talk about God's stuff very much at all, you know, don't say, we're going to have a daily one-hour devotion as a family. Maybe just say, on the way home from church, we're going to say, what do you guys think of the sermon? And talk about it. So to find just one little thing that you can yeah. do to, to lean in. Or when you're having those meals, if you realize that you never take the time to pray together mm-hmm. as a household, just pray before the meal. That's it's it. a start. I want to talk a little bit about hospitality, this mm-hmm. idea of the hospitality. And we talk about welcoming people into our homes. Um, when, when the research gets at hospitality, are they talking about 
I mean, maybe we're familiar with this idea of like, I have a church small group and I invite them in and they're mm-hmm. people who, you know, are like, um, are they, are, is there, is it a pretty um, consistent, like the groups of people who you're welcoming in are family and people who come from your circles or is it broader than that? Um, like, what's it talking about? The general definition they use are people that, that you don't live with who are in your home several times a month. And, and you can flip that too. The other side of that is that you're in someone else's okay. home several times a month. There are different categories, right? So there are people who are like maybe don't have a home or, or who maybe are hurting or need some help. And you're like welcoming them in to be hospitable to them. There's a whole lot, theme throughout the biblical literature that we're actually called to do that. Other parts of it are these are people who've become like their friends like family. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're part of a small group you've been a part of for a long time, but they're in your home and they're in your home a lot. Um, so it can look a lot of different ways, but the correlation is having more people around um, is fruitful. Uh, so, so some families, so for example, multi-generational families, yeah. a lot of single parent families are more multi-generational have more people in the home, uh, they tend to do better in this category than the classic nuclear family. I mean, we tend to think, you know, the classic nuclear family is kind of always going to win every family race, right? <laughs> that's, that's not the case, actually, because being a nuclear family and actually being a wealthy nuclear family is also a risk factor because they can afford to insulate themselves. I like what you said about you can flip it around that hospi- like hospitality can be like I can be a hospitable guest, right? Like me going yes. into somebody else's. Yes. Space is a chance to practice hospitality. That's what's been so empowering to these grandparents I'm working with because mm-hmm. it's kind of giving them, not just from the research, but we're doing a lot of Bible along with this and mm-hmm. what the Bible says to us. But these grandparents are realizing um, I I play a significant role in my grandkids' lives. Even if they live far away through technology, we can do it through visits or if they live nearby. There's something empowering about that, right? That yeah. And that it's intended to be that way. Um, if I'm, I, I have, so I have two single friends uh, they're both middle age, uh, and, and, and they're single. They're a huge part of my household. Mm-hmm. And when they come up, they're a huge part of my kids' lives. Yeah. And, and we like, we're better as a household. We we're strengthened in our faith because of their influence in our lives. And this research made me thank both of them and kind of put a name on it and say, I don't know if this is going to freak you out, but you're part of my household. <laughs> and, and. And I want to thank you for that. And and I just want to communicate. I love how you're influencing me. I love how you're influencing my kids. And there's something really empowering about that. You know, there's someone in our life, my family's life right now, who is, uh, we know from one of my kids' sports. Mm-hmm. And she's going through something right now. And she has no family around. And for whatever reason, you know, she's not a Christian. She has a completely different belief structure than we do. Um but she feels a real connection. And as we've invited her to come to our house to invite in, the very invitation for her of, yeah, come over to our house for dinner, hang out, spend the evening with us, has left her in tears. Yeah. And I've been really struck by that, that we have a lot of people in our culture today who feel like outsiders and feel alone. And they just want to feel welcomed. And it it really didn't take much. I mean, this wasn't about... You know, uh, in this particular case, this wasn't about me saying, hey, you know, let me now do a, a, a six-step presentation of the gospel. <laughs> this was literally just, you know. <laughs> a meal. <laughs> a meal. And and the impulse was based on, 
you know, you're in our uh, in my kids' lives. Um, we talk a lot. You've gotten to know my wife. You've gotten to know me. Why don't you come over and celebrate with us sometime? And it, it was just sort of a natural invitation. But for her, she doesn't get that anywhere. Yeah. Well, I want to ask you guys each same question. Last question. Um, why is this research important for our listeners and the church? Why do I think this research is important for the average Christian household in the church? For a couple of reasons. One, I think a lot of churches, by no means all, but a lot of churches have fallen into a trap of looking and prizing uh, family ministry and young families and not looking at the households they actually have in their midst or surrounded by in their communities. When we recognize what the households around us look like, and some maybe you're in a place where they are all nuclear, okay, but it turns out that most of us as pastors throughout the country aren't. We're in communities where you have a lot of different types of households. And for a church to say, these are the households and these are the types of needs those households have. So maybe we we need to change our ministries to look at those needs and help them become vibrant from where they are. Because vibrancy, hospitality is going to look different in a uh, single mother household than it is going to look like in a multi-generational household than it's going to look like in a empty nester couple's household. So recognizing the needs of the people and helping them grow and create resources that will help you be vibrant from that household type. Mm -hmm. That's why I think it's uh, important for churches. For households individually, uh, to it, it's a way of looking at how to become more vibrant from where you're at, to be more intentional. Um, we had aspects of all three of these elements in my household, but even in my house, we're talking about, well, how do we grow? We have aspects of this, but how do we be more hospitable? Who should we be reaching out to? Who has God put in our life that we're not even paying attention to? As we get busier, how do we make sure we don't lose these things? That's been what's really powerful for me in my own house. Don, why is it important? One reason I'll give is because I think that we're all kind of homesick. And I think we all are longing and hungry for home because we've been wired for home. I think the biblical record tells us we're wired to be connected to the people in our homes, to the people around us, and to be drawing more people into that. I think we're made for that. But I think we misdiagnose that, and so we try to fill that hunger in a lot of weird ways, right? If I just buy the nicer house, then I will feel okay. If my kids would just keep their shirts tucked in, then I would feel a certain way. If I could go on these vacations, and we have lots of weird things we do because we're hungry for home. And what I love about this research is that it pulls back the curtain, and it forces us to reckon with the biblical record that says actually what you're made for is to be in a household where you're relating with God together, you're relating with each other in conversation, and you're relating with the world by having an open door and bringing people in. You're actually made for that. And the more you kind of take steps towards those three things, um, the more satisfied you're going to be. And frankly, you'll stop doing a lot of the silly things you're doing to try to uh, feed that hunger. So I, I think I think this research points us in a direction for something we're, all of us are really hungry for. Well, that is lovely and beautiful. And I am so grateful that you guys stopped by today to share with us about this, this research. Thanks for joining us. 
hungry for home. Doesn't it just make sense that hospitality is a key component of a spiritually vibrant household? Don't we all long to be welcomed into a safe, comfortable environment where we're free to share our joys and sorrows and go through life together? Where we can chat over food, have fun playing a game, hang out, watch a movie, and discuss important matters of life and faith without risk of judgment or dismissal. I want that. And even more, I want to give that to others in my household. I want to love like Jesus, who gave grace in abundance. It's this type of living that makes our home vibrant and impacts the people in our households for generations. What will you do to help your household grow in spiritual vibrancy? That's Action and Ministry. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rachel Legute. Thank you for listening to Action in Ministry. We'd love to hear how you and your church are ministering to your community. To submit ideas for this podcast, visit our website, lhm.org forward slash action and send us an email. 